Hello, I'm Hal Lublin. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate of the world in the balance, we're here to settle once and for all. Best theater prop. That's right. Don't worry, everyone. We got this. Podcasts should have a theme song. Podcasts should not have a theme song. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. Hmm. You know what? You're right. We got this. Yo, best theater prop. He's got props. Welcome to We Got This with Mark and Hal, the show that settles the debates nobody else will touch. Hal, I don't know if Ken is going to use you doing it in your Philly accent at the no, beginning no of this. Probably no way. But the word uh, theater done in a Philly accent is delightfully ridiculous to the ears. Can you just let the people of the world hear it? Theater. <laughs> that was even more TH than you had. Originally, it sounded like it began with a D. Theater? Yeah, theater. <laughs> theater. Theater. Yeah, he's going theater. He's going to Wall Street theater. Well, look, where I'm theater. from, we frequently call it the theater. But how today we are talking about the theater with an R-E. Yes, of course. And this is a this is one of the most Mark topics we could possibly have, which yeah. I love. I like approaching the props of Broadway. Now, when people hear this, they're going to go like, is it a prop like a book? Or just a candlestick or something you carry. But we're going to be talking about the iconic props yeah. of theater. Yeah. There are some props that are, when you think about the theater, you think about these specific props. There are a handful of them. There aren't a ton. So there's not really a ton that we're dealing with here. Though there mm -hmm. are, I would argue, I would say this. The Louvre for this is particularly small, but the Sotheby's mm -hmm. auction is enormous. You know what I mean? <laughs> because there are so many plays and so many musicals and so many iconic props from so many different properties. This came to me just because I was thinking about theater props and I think an article popped up. Mm. And we will get to the prop that is currently being taken to the Smithsonian because I think this is one of those props that by default is going to be on our list because there's not only one version of this in the Smithsonian, but now with the new one coming in, there will be two versions of it. Oh, uh, is it the Smithsonian? It's the ladder from our town, right? Yes. It's the ladder from our town. That's both the prop and a set. Did you ever hear about that crazy version of our town that they did a few years ago? Scott Adsit was the one that painted a beautiful picture of this. I never saw this production, but you know, that show is done with a ladder and chairs and that's pretty much it prop wise. Yes. And then there was a flashback sequence at the end where one of the characters has a flashback to a memory of a breakfast cooking in a kitchen and in a play that had one ladder and multiple chairs, what they had also done in the theater was set up that entire scene like camera realistic with real bacon sizzling in a real stove, water running in a real sink, like for a five second moment in the play. I love that. I love theatrical flexes like that. Yeah, that's a fun surprise Yeah, to see that because it brings you into the memory. You smell yeah. the bacon. You're there in I that moment. That. Do you have a favorite prop? that you have ever carried on stage? When I was a freshman in high school, I did a show called Is There Life After High School about a group of people at a reunion who are reflecting back on their time in high school. Some, those are their glory days. For some, they were tortured. And they were happy to be out of there. Yeah. So I did a, 
a scene where I'm supposed to be holding a notebook or uh, sorry, a, a, a yearbook. And I'm very upset at everybody because they were all, you know, it was your hotshot friends and all your hotshot girls and your hotshot cars. And one of the nights, one of the three nights we did the show, I went to the prop table and my yearbook was not there. Oh, that's so don't touch somebody else's prop. You know, the rules don't touch. Don't move. No, there are tape marks on that table for Mm -hmm. a reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not happy about this. Only prop I handled on that show. So I grabbed the only thing I could find in the area, which was like an L magazine. And I took that on stage and used that instead. And that is my favorite prop I've ever. The L magazine that substituted, that came in as the understudy for the notebook. Yeah. You know what? Absolutely. How'd the L magazine do? Considering it had no rehearsal and at the last second had to go (laughs) on for notebook who had not shown up to the theater that day. It got a better laugh than I did throughout the whole thing. <laughs> Although also the original script wasn't hot shot. It was hot. Shit. And I, what I did over the three nights was I started working it back in. Mm-hmm. And then by the end I was doing full, I was going back to the original text and I did not get cast by that director again. Well, sure. Abington Friends here. School does not abide swearing, Hal. It's that theater community is tight knit and there's yeah. a code of conduct that I yeah. clearly violated. Yeah, you violated that code, my brother. What about you? Do you have a favorite prop? Yeah, well, doing the Aladdin musical at Disneyland, the lamp was an iconic. I mean, I had favorite like little sort of things that I, I'm one of those actors that'll stick something in my pocket. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. only I know about that only the character knows about. Okay. But I have a quick story about the lamp for you. I may have mm-hmm. told this story on the show before, or I may have just told again. you this in life. We were doing a performance of the musical. There's a scene where I appear out of the lamp in the shower. So I have a scrub brush mm-hmm. and I'm singing Lucky Bird, which is Jasmine's song in the show. I notice Jafar. I shriek and I throw the scrub brush off stage and grab the lamp. Well, on this particular day, I shrieked, held onto the scrub brush and threw the lamp off stage. The Aladdin magic lamp that is required for the plot to move forward for the rest of the show. Luckily, the genie in this particular production could break the fourth wall. So I just flat out looked at Jafar and I said, Jafar, I'm not going to lie. I threw the wrong prop off stage. I'm going to go get that lamp. You stay right here. I will be right back. And I slowly walked off stage and I slowly ambled back on with the lamp. And I went, okay, you were saying, and we started again. What a great show to be a part of where you can do that. (laughs) Like that maybe one of the only characters. Yeah. No one, no other character in the the show show could do that. Yeah. 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 I'd been, luckily I'd spent 40 minutes breaking the fourth wall. So it was, it was possible for me to do that. Jafar can't be like, now excuse me, everyone. I'm walking upstage. It doesn't work. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. You can be the, yeah. you have to be the only one who does it. Suffice to say, Aladdin's lamp being one of the, the types of props that I want to talk about in this episode, because if you mention the magic lamp, you know what story I'm talking about. Okay. You know what I mean? If you yep. mentioned the flying umbrella, you know I'm talking about Mary Poppins. But these were made more famous by their cinematic versions. What if I said the unicorn? Would you know what show that's from? 
Absolutely. It is on my list, my friend. Okay. All right, good. I want to make sure we're in sync here. Here is how I've got a few, and Mm -hmm. I don't know how many extras you've got to add to this or how many of these you agree with, but I think basically I have a few Shakespeare ones. I have a few from modern 20th century and leading up to that plays and a few from musicals. Okay. But I'd love to jump back into the Wayback Machine and go to 16th and 17th century England to some of Shakespeare's classic props. And I think there are three. Hmm. I'm curious what the other two are. <laughs> Fair. Uh, I would say that the first, not first in anyone's mind, but first that I will mention here more as an appetizer, is the handkerchief from Othello. Because the handkerchief in Othello becomes the through line by which all of the dramatic misunderstandings and ultimate death of Desdemona happen. Right. I will say Yorick's skull. Obviously, yeah. I mean, you think theater, you think someone... If you see someone holding a skull, you go, that's a theater kid. Well, you also know what show it is. You know what play it is, what act it is, what scene it is, what character they're playing, and how they feel in that moment. And even if you don't know all that, if you have a very passing knowledge of theater and Shakespeare, you know that that's from Hamlet. Yeah, You know that holding the skull means acting. Like for a lot of people, it means like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm playing, I'm doing Shakespeare. Yeah. To say I'm doing Shakespeare is either Romeo, Romeo, wherefore out thou, Romeo, or it's alas, poor Yorick, I knew him well. You're holding yeah. the skull. Hold that, holding the skull, especially Olivier, probably the most famous image of it because it is mm-hmm. from the film, the Oscar winning film. Yeah. The most famous modern uh, cinematic image of it. Yeah. Is it the uh, horse? There, there is are it the missing horse and paintings of it. Yeah. Is that the, the horse that... missing horse? <laughs> No, at first I thought, is this a dagger I see before me? Hey, a dagger. But nope, that's not a prop. That's an illusion in Macbeth's mind. Yeah. No, there is one prop that I thought, you know what? This seems, this prop carries through multiple plays, carries through multiple versions of it, but actually one very specific version of this prop carries through half a dozen plays at least. And the symbology behind this prop is the most important part. And... I don't know if it beats Yorick's skull because in the Shakespeare realm, I don't think anything does, but this is an epic prop in the world of Shakespeare and in the history of England. And that is the crown. There are people chasing the crown and it's the same. It's physically the same crown, but is it, I think the crown may be more of a symbol than anything else. And it appears in so many things that, yeah, it's the thing that's sought after. It is a, it's the status of a character who enters and commands everybody's respect. I think Yorick's skull, not that we have to pick just one from Shakespeare, but for sure Yorick's skull is just yeah. such an iconic piece that mm-hmm. your ability to know what show it is just by looking at that prop, I think is important. I think that's going to be a key factor in this. The most, because you, you even asked before we started this, we're like, are we doing best theater prop or most mm-hmm. iconic theater prop? Is that the same yeah. thing? I think that it being iconic is going to help it win best. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Are there any others that come out of Shakespeare? I mean, the pies made out of kids from Titus Andronicus? No. Lots of letters, lots of poison. But if you say letters and poison and daggers, that could be any of a number of plays. Yeah. If if I think about poison, I'm thinking about Romeo and Juliet more than anything else. Right. Or Game of Thrones. Or Game of Thrones. Sure. I think your skull is what you bring out of this era. I think it is yeah. it is the first of our contenders. I think undeniably it's your skull. Do you have more that you want to go into? Do you want me to throw one out? How do you want to do this? 
If we're done with Shakespeare, let's move on to the next era. But if you have any more Shakespeare ones to throw out there. I don't. All right. What do you want to tackle next? You want to tackle plays or musicals? Let's do plays. All right. What do you got on your list? I do think the unicorn from Glass Menagerie mm-hmm. is an important one. Yeah. Because it's symbolic. I don't think it's as iconic as Yorick's skull is, but it is yeah. important nonetheless. I'm trying to think of uh, so many of the props I, that I think of come from musicals. Sure. There's so, so many I, great musical props. Yeah. When I think of like straight, just sort of dramatic or comedic plays, there aren't props that are coming to mind. Are there some that you have? There's a couple. There's one okay. very big one. Okay. That kind of was one of the reasons for this episode that I think is going to make it pretty far. Oh, okay. It's not from one of those, like, everybody reads it in high school. Everybody can recognize it, even if you're not in theater plays, though. Okay. There are a few that I think that they don't necessarily scream this play. Like, at at first, I thought the knife from 12 Angry Men. Because the knife from 12 Angry Men is ultimately what leads to the final resolution of the plot. Is that knife being brought into play in the jury room? Mm -hmm. But if I said the knife... You wouldn't know what I meant. The knife from that play. I wouldn't think of 12 Angry Men right away, yeah. Right. If you said the unicorn from that play, which you said before, Mm -hmm. I immediately knew you were talking about the Glass Menagerie. Yes. There is one right now. Oh, uh, well, there's two I want to talk about. Let's do this one first. And it's the one that led me to the thought of this. Are you familiar with the piano lesson? No. Tell me about it. August Wilson's The Piano Lesson. Mm -hmm. The premise of the play is it's one of August Wilson's 10 black experience in the 20th century plays. He did one play for each of the 10 decades of the 20th century. I'm not sure which decade the piano lesson covers. But the plot of the play is a family trying to decide whether or not to sell a family heirloom, which is a piano that has been carved by their formerly enslaved ancestor with images of history and the time and their family. So it's this beautiful, ornately carved, artisan crafted by an enslaved person, upright piano. And the plot of the play involves a brother and sister deciding what to do with this piece. Not only is it the through line for the whole play, but it's also the prop itself was fabricated and designed and crafted and hand. It is a literal hand carved piano, right? Which there was just a production that just closed at the end of January starring Samuel L. Jackson in the lead role. And that piano has just been given to the Smithsonian as a major piece of American theater. And not only that, this is now the second August Wilson's The Piano Lesson piano that will be in the Smithsonian because the first one was already on display at the African American History Museum uh, in the August Wilson or the American Theater section. Uh, I've seen the old one with my own eyes. It's absolutely beautiful. It is a huge piece of Americana. I just don't know if enough people know that play for it to be the most iconic. I think it's Part of the reason why you put it in a museum, not only is it culturally important, but also mm-hmm. it's a brilliantly made, you know, it's a piece of art. It's physically it's a piece carved, of art a piece of art. beautiful piece of art. Yeah. Yes. I don't think it's a finalist for this. Yeah. I do think one of the things that helps 
It is, is the catalyst for this episode, so that has to give it some sort of sure credit. But I, in my brain, and maybe I'm wrong, is I think the winner will be something that, like, even if you haven't seen, like, it's just so iconic yeah. that almost anybody would know what it was. If you see three circles, two of them smaller on top of the larger circle, you know a Mickey head, whether or not you've ever seen Plane Crazy. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I'm glad we talked about it, but to me, I don't think that would qualify it. Yeah. I want to throw out one more in this. Throw out one we'll more. Close out this category of plays. Okay. Though it looks like if we're going to take one from each, it looks at this point pretty good for that little glass unicorn that, uh, that old Laura had up there on the shelf that that stupid gentleman caller knocked over. Yes. But even that, I don't think it really, but as far as straight play, props go there is one that people talk about all the time mm. but it was never actually the case within a play it was only used as an example to upstart writers you, you talking about talking Chekhov's about? gun i'm talking about Chekhov's gun the only time Chekhov's gun appeared in a play was in the cherry orchard and it, so the, you know, for those who don't know, the story is, uh, Chekhov used to tell young writers coming up, if you have a gun on the mantle, it better go off by the end of act two. Well, the cherry orchard features two guns in the story and neither of them go off by the end of act two, which was yeah. a deliberate choice on Chekhov's part about unresolved stories. But that said, Chekhov's gun has become sort of a synonymous symbolic prop for a good storytelling lesson. What do you think? I agree. I don't think it qualifies for this because it's yeah. theoretical. It's more of a writing theory than it is an actual prop from, from a play. I would also contend that we don't need to bring one from each category. I don't think we need to take the glass unicorn because it, there's a few from musicals that are dope. Exactly. I think the yeah. musicals are going to give us a few. So, so far we have Yorick's skull. Yeah. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about some of the iconic props of Broadway We'll come up with our finalists and we'll make a decision all within 30 minutes or less because we are the dominoes of podcasts. Ooh. But first, this show was made possible in large part thanks to the support of Max Fund members who have a recurring contribution that helps keep the lights on for us. And if you are considering becoming a member, don't forget Max Fund Drive is coming up. It will be March 20th through the 31st. A lot of fun things planned. And if you're a member or you're considering becoming a member, you might enjoy some of the other shows on the network as well. So we're going to share some of those with you. I can't tell the future, but you're about to experience it. We'll be right back. We need one of those prop crystal balls. Hey. If you have trouble falling asleep, try sleeping with celebrities. Tell me about your view of, of succulents. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan. It's a different kind of sleep podcast. There are some real benefits to parking illegally. Featuring remarkable guests and unremarkable topics. There's two Orlando airports. From the creator of Depression Mode with John Moe, it's Sleeping with Celebrities. Every week on Maximum Fun. Nighty night, sleepyheads. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun, and I have a special announcement. I'm no longer embarrassed by my brother, my brother, and me. You know, for years, each new episode of this supposed advice show was a fresh insult, a depraved jumble of erection jokes, ghost humor, and frankly, this is for the best, very little actionable advice. 
But now, as they enter their twilight years, I'm as surprised as anyone to admit that it's gotten kind of good. Justin, Travis, and Griffin's witticisms are more refined, like a humor column in a fancy magazine. And they hardly ever say Bazinga anymore. So, after you've completely finished listening to every single one of all of our other shows, why not join the McElroy Brothers every week for My Brother, My Brother, and Me? And we are back, Mark. Yeah. Give our regards to Broadway and all the musicals on it. Oh, let's yeah. Let's talk about iconic pro- – you want to just start like throwing There's these some, out like – Let's start rattling them style? up. But first, I, I got one more from a play that I would be remiss if I did not mention. The Sardines from Noises Off, Hal. <laughs> the plate of sardines that gets carried around by Dottie Otley throughout the play that she cannot <laughs> keep – manage to keep uh, keep control of. The plate of spaghetti from The Odd Couple. <laughs> <laughs> now it's all right garbage. look this is just a chance for us to talk about plays we like until we ultimately sure. decide it's york skull right uh i think we may have something that can defeat it no i think we do there's Go a few ahead. things there's a few great ones in here yeah i have a question though before we yeah. start on this i have a question mm-hmm. there are a couple of things that i could uh i could technically call props mm-hmm. but they are not inanimate objects I am leaning too. I'm leaning toward eliminating these two. Yes, they're because they're giant puppets, okay. and that's Audrey Two and Warhorse. Yeah, that's fine. But I think if they're inanimate objects, it doesn't count. I think puppets are different because then you would yeah, have like all of Avenue world. Q. Like sure. those are characters yeah. in the play, as opposed to this is an iconic piece. For example, the razor wielded by Sweeney Todd. Crossing that off my list. Sure. That is a famous prop. The famous image of Sweeney Todd is him standing and raising it up in the air with a with a deranged look on his face. So I think that yeah. is one for sure that would be in the mix. Not a finalist, maybe, but in the mix. Yeah, but a fun one to throw into the mix. This is just a game of how many can we think of also. Sure. Uh, Mark's camera from Rent. Sure. Right? Yes. The giant waving flag from Les Mis. Yeah. Oh, I think that might be a finalist. The big red flag from Les Mis. Could be. Yes. If so, like it's become sort of a a sketch show bit of if you want to do a rousing number with people coming together for a cause, someone Mm -hmm. busts out a big solid red flag and waves it in the back. And that now equals we are having a revolution. And that all comes from Les Mis. By the way, do you want one more from a straight play? Yes. The carrot from Waiting for Goodell. The carrot? I was... Go- Dude. Do you have that? I have list? it. I have the carrot from Godot on my list. Fantastic. The carrot from Waiting for Godot, it, it is, it leads to a existential conversation. Of course, mm-hmm. Sam Beckett did not need a lot of nudging to get pushed toward an existential conversation. True. I'm holding on to a couple that I don't want to mention because there are some real big contenders in this category. Okay. Uh, but the pinball machine from Tommy. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's a huge, it fought, the whole plot revolves around it. It gets its own song. And in the like nineties version, it got its own turntable. I think wasn't there a turntable he was on when he had that big pinball wizard number? Probably. Yeah. It, it seems like, like something that would happen in the nineties. Yeah. Did does. you ever do a turntable show? No, I, I'd love, I, I feel like I've said this before, but when I saw when Les Mis came into the Forest Theater in Philadelphia, that was the touring house in Philly. Mm-hmm. We went to see it and 
number one, I loved the music. I was just sort of entranced by the whole thing. And I listened to the soundtrack for weeks after, but when I saw that was the first show I ever saw with a turntable. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is such a brilliant way to simulate motion, to change sets around. I'd never seen it. I didn't know that that was something available to any theater. And so it blew me away. Dude, I love a turntable. The first, so I did a turntable show. We had one for the version of a Christmas Carol I did one year when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that Les Mis turntable blew my mind. And then the double turntable in Hamilton blew my mind. Mm-hmm. You know about the Hades Town turntable? No, tell me. How Lublin, tur- multiple turntables plus elevators. <laughs> right? Uh... I mean, it's Orpheus descending. Yeah, that's pretty good. Turntables with elevators. It's, oh, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's real. The set design for that show is really fun. What else you got? Here's one. This, I don't know if this is a prop or costume, but Mm -hmm. the cast from Dear Evan Hansen, not the actors, but the actual arm cast. What do you think? It's tough because you do wear it. You do wear it. I would argue. Look, I love Dear Evan Hansen. I think it's Mm -hmm. great. And cast is an iconic prop from that and again is you know him breaking his arm and having people sign his like that is a symbol that is a through line that is a mm-hmm. plot point through the show i think yes it's a costume but i would allow it in this case as a prop okay but only because i think there is a more iconic costume piece that is a prop that is and you know which one i'm talking about and it's yep. the one that literally the poster for the play is just solid black and this prop. Yep. And that is the Phantom's Mask from Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, that's going to be real tough to be. Ah, it's going to be sick. The poster is just, here's a picture of this prop. It is, I would say, even more so than Yorick's skull is yeah. the most iconic, I think, of all these props. Maybe it goes up against, maybe the only thing that can maybe get close to it is the helicopter from Miss Saigon, although that's also a set piece. Yeah, I think I love that as a prop, though. The idea that a whole-ass helicopter is... I mean, it kind of is, but it's really, I think, more of a set piece. It is a prop, but it's also part of the set. By the way, did I ever tell you this? I went backstage. I had a buddy who was doing the Miss Saigon on Broadway, uh, the Eva Noblezada version that uh, was out a few years ago. And I got to go backstage and check out, you know, see all the different things that were, you know, the different ways that it worked. Right. And do you know how that helicopter works where they keep the blades safe, but they're still spinning? No, how? The blades are ropes. And it doesn't Uh, take, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take a very fast spin for a rope to get vertical. Right. So if that rope hits you, it's just a rope. It's just going to like right. wrap around or whatever. It's and not it's not going rope. terribly fast. Yeah. But it look with the lights going and the sound and the fans blowing. That's a cool prop too because it's an immersive prop. You know what I mean? Yeah. It requires the prop itself, the lighting, the sound, the wind effect, the motion. It does create a spectacular effect. It does it does but i think it's a set piece when does a prop become a set piece because i'll throw out another one from phantom the chandelier when the chandelier falls at the is it the end of act one yeah the phantom cuts down the chandelier and it crashes into the paris opera house 
Yeah. I mean, it I ceases to be a set pro- piece the second it's cut off from the building, right? So then by that argument, do you think that the helicopter is also a prop? Because the cast is on it. Yeah, I think that they're, t- I they're think- touching it. Like you could say a prop, you know, Ken is in the chat right now saying a prop is something handled by the cast. Yeah. So an example, another non-musical example would be the tuna sandwich from Oh Hello. Yeah. <laughs> like that's something that's really that gets funny. handled sure. but like a chair you might handle and pick up and move around and it is used as a prop but it's also a set piece so sometimes things do satisfy two different like you could say the mask is just a prop but he takes it off at one point and then he's handling it and the and removal of prop. it is a big deal yeah so i think i think that the mask is unquestionably a prop yeah once it's off of his face it's a prop for the second half and it's like sitting mm-hmm. on the table at the end you know what i mean like Yes. That, yeah, I think that becomes a prop at a certain point rather than a costume piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think about these big, giant set pieces like that? I think the helicopter counts. I think the helicopter counts. I think the chandelier counts, too. If the helicopter counts, the chandelier counts. It does, but the chandelier isn't even the most iconic thing. Yeah, from the that show. Is, the mask is the whole thing. The mask. the mask is so hard to beat, dude. The mask is really okay. tough to beat. So we have a friend. We have a friend of ours who played the Phantom, and went over to his place. Tim Gleason, shout out to Tim, great guy. Played Phantom multiple times in you know because that show has a million casts all over the world. Sure, played it on Broadway, I believe, as well. But he has his mask because it's molded to your face, right? When they make a new one, yeah. And the first time I ever went, he knew I was a musical nerd. And the first time I ever went over to his apartment, I looked over and i i saw it and i i couldn't talk anymore and he's trying to tell me his stories and i just completely lost my train of thought and then he just went <laughs> do you want to try the mask on and i went yes i have nothing more in the world than to try the mask on so like to get that excited about a theater prop yeah. too it's how it yeah that's a tough one all right right now the fan of the opera mask is king of the mountain Right? Wait, how did it fit? How did that mask fit on your face? No, we don't have the same face. He's much handsomer than me. Yeah. He's different handsome. He's different handsome than me. So his yeah. different handsome uh did not mold onto my face. Sure. But it's cool. It had like a little wire hook thing. So I was able to just kind of prop it up there for a photo. Nice. Yeah. So if the fan of the opera mask is at the top of the mountain right now, mm-hmm. let's send some usurpers up and uh see if that phantom mask kicks them down to the bottom of the hill. Mm-hmm. What are we sending up? What if we sent up the rent camera? It's kicking. It's kicking Mark's camera yeah. down the hill. The the, ch- the chess set from falsettos. No, it's kicking the chess set from falsettos down the hill. The, the pies from waitress. Yeah, take that player. pies. The record, the record player, player from drowsy chaperone. From drowsy chaperone. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. You get out of here with your drowsy chaperone record player. Ooh, maybe, maybe the quartet from Into the Woods. The cow is white as milk, the cape is red as blood, the hair is yellow as corn, the slipper is pure as gold. Four props instrumental to the first act of that play. That's still not as good as the mask. Nah, the phantom mask is shoving him back down that hill. What about the flag? That Les Mis flag? From Les Mis. They wave it around. I don't know. We've already talked about that one. I thought, I always thought we were throwing out new ones. Oh, no, yeah, I was saying, do you think that one even makes it up but, to the well, top But let's of the talk about it. Do, do you think? I don't, I don't know. No. I, think I don't it think it beats it, the flag. I think it doesn't want to be pushed down the hill. They try no. to make a stand, but they get shoved down that hill. Though people often like lump Les Mis and Phantom together because they're both just the absolute yeah. blockbusters of the 80s yeah. that have reigned forever. Yeah. And their you know, posters, their poster art are always side by side. And there's that red flag and there's that mm-hmm. Phantom mask. But 
Speaking of blockbusters, what about the pile of trash from cats? Are we counting? <laughs> what about all those props from cats? They're enormous. The fish skeleton, like in Heathcliff. <laughs> Is it on a tray with a cloche like Heathcliff used to have uh-huh. it? Yeah. There's that big ass tire. Oh, oh. oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, can any of the can any of the giant trash from cats? Not not no. one piece of giant trash. Can, what about can, Annie's locket? Oh, Hal, Annie's locket. No. Little orphan Annie. Sorry, little orphan Andy. It's fine. I said little orphan Andy. See, I don't even remember her name. Yeah, no, because her locket wasn't that important. What about my boy who's up playing music all hours of the night on his four-stringed uh, violin uh, playing in the shtetl? What if he hops down? Is the fiddle from Fiddler on the Roof going to beat the Phantom's Mask? I don't think it does, even though it's in the title. Yeah. I don't even think the helicopter can beat it. No, I don't think it can. Although the helicopter is an iconic piece. Yeah. Also, like, instantly recognizable from the poster. Also, also Andrew Lloyd Webber, right? Uh, no. It's, um. Who am I thinking of? It's the same guys that wrote, it's, uh, Bubiel and Schoenberg, right? The guys oh, okay. that wrote Les right. Mis, I think. Okay. Wrote Miss Saigon, yeah. There we go. Though, now that you mention Andrew Lloyd Webber, is it a prop or is it a costume piece? The dream coat? The, yeah, Joseph's Technicolor dream coat. It's the no, titular. It's a, I mean, it's a prop. Yeah. But it's, there's no way it beats the mask. That mask is tough to beat. Mm-hmm. Ibsen's dollhouse. The dice from <laughs> Guys and Dolls. <laughs> those important dice. No, they're great. Yeah. They have to solve yeah. all those. I'm rolling, I'm rolling for a lot more than money tonight. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're important dice. But again, that comes back to the, does it only exist for this? You know what I mean? Right. I mean, you have like a, a pair of dice exists for any reason. A knife mm-hmm. exists for any reason. Even Desdemona's handkerchief. And I might even argue a skull, a skull in the hand of an actor being held up at eye level with intense concentration. It needs that for me to know that it's an actor. And that it's the skull from Hamlet. That sure. outline, just the outline of the mask from Phantom is iconic enough that you don't even have to know the context. Okay. So, but they're both iconic things. These are our two finalists, right? These are our two. Yeah. It's your skull and the mask from Phantom. Do you want to talk about what they represent? Do you think that takes it another level? Or do you think the mask is so iconic that that outweighs the symbolism that both of them have? In their no, let's, ways. uh, let's talk about the, I, we might as well. Let's talk about the context within the story and what they, what the symbols mean. Sure. You go first. <laughs> the skull means bowling because it yeah. has three holes, the nose and the eyes. Yeah. And the mask means broken bowling ball because it only has two holes and a bowling yeah. ball, as we all know, has three. Yeah. I think what did you think about out. it? Call Austin Titchener immediately. Yeah, get Austin on the phone. I look, there are it's Hamlet is out there, he, you know, he is holding the skull of his friend. Yes. And this is a person who is contemplating suicide and yes. there's lots of death and he's had a hell of a time leading up to this. Everything has gone wrong in his life. And so it leads him down this path. Right? 
Right. The discovery of this skull. It's interesting, maybe. The addition of the skull gives Hamlet food for thought that moves the plot point, that moves the plot forward. Yes. It's the addition of the skull. The subtraction of the mask is what moves the plot of Phantom of the Opera forward. You know, once Christine has taken the mask off, and let, well, let's talk about the the symbolism of the Phantom's mask and what that means. Well, there's the mystery of what's behind it. There's yeah. what it represents that he's like he's disfigured, but you don't see what it is. There's something mm-hmm. to it that makes him a phantom, a specter. There's it is yeah. ghostly, and you know the character becomes humanized when the mask comes off. Yeah. Yeah, it it ceases to be this mm -hmm. phantom. Yeah. And I would argue that the phantom with the mask on is the scarier version and the more seductive version and the, the more, you know, that's the, the mystery is what, what we're excited about. Cause once he takes that mask off, I mean, the makeup job in that show, it sometimes looks like. Our friend, the Phantom of the Opera, lost a match of Wabbit season, Phantom season, yeah, and got shot multiple times in the face by Elmer Fudd, as drawn by Chuck Jones. Did I ever tell you when I went to see that play at 12 years old, I had those collapsible plastic field glasses mm-hmm. that you can get because we were you way sitting? far back. Yeah. Way far back. I wish I bought theater, those. We were, in, we were in the very back row in Toronto. I saw it. But I had also just been prescribed glasses for the first time. And I mm-hmm. wasn't, didn't like wearing them because it had like the extra bar on top. They were Garfield eyeglasses. Hold on a second. Garfield was on the stems. He appeared like this part on the inside of the stem was just oh, on the Garfield inside. And, that, and it had a picture of him on it. Yeah. But you didn't they have like, like shaped like Garfield. I was going to say you weren't like, you didn't look like you were wearing novelty glasses. No, they look like the kind of glasses 50-year-old men were wearing in movies made in the late 70s and early 80s, where it had, like, the crossbar <laughs> up top, and then also, like, so you have your nose bar, and then the other bar on top, so you have, like, the double bar yeah. going on, and they were gold with a little brown on the end of the stems. Wait, they were they were, they were gold, like, were they, what shape were your first glasses? They were, like, like George W., were they, like, H.W. Bush glasses, or were they? So, yes, more like that, like that, those kinds okay. of, those kind of glasses. Yeah. Like but aviators, but with glass instead of yeah, not quite cool enough. A little, a little more square in shape yeah. and in style. Gotcha. But I wasn't used to wearing them at the time. I was like, I don't really need glasses all the time. And so I, when we were so far away, and all I wanted to see the whole show, like I wasn't really. I liked the song Masquerade. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a fun one. Was oh like yeah, good, like a lot. That's of a banger. Yeah. But other than that, twelve year old Hal was not really having the show. Mm-hmm. And all he wanted to do was see the Phantom without the mask on. And then they take the mask off. And even with the field glasses, my vision was fuzzy enough that I couldn't make out his face. It's like, looks like a pimple. Like, I couldn't tell what he looked yeah. like. Yeah, you're not wrong. I'm very, very far away. But I, I saw no yeah. detail of it. He looks like Dylan Baker at the end of Delirious. I was so annoyed. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. You know what? If you get the Phantom of the Opera book, they will, you can see Michael Crawford's makeup in perfect form. And it is, it's, it's bonkers. Or watch it on Broadway HD and you can see Ramin's version of it. Yeah. But that, it doesn't matter. The makeup isn't what's important. What's important is 
the mask. That iconic mask. And that's the character that scares the hell out of us and also makes us get seduced into his spooky underground lair full of fog and candelabras. And it all happens because of that mask. Now, Yorick's skull has hundreds of years of precedent. Yes. And and how sad that... is it that this mask from 1986 is about to <laughs> knock it off of this hill and into yeah. the Andrew Lloyd... abyss below? Andrew Lloyd Webber is about to beat William Shakespeare in the props game. This, I think this might be the first time he, that anything Andrew Lloyd Webber has any, ever won anything on, on our show. Yeah. Have we never done best Andrew Lloyd Webber? No. We, we absolutely never, need to. We will at some point. Yes. Yeah. That's true. But I am, I have no problem saying I'm a fan of his. I think he is objectively talented. Sure. Yes. He's very good at making Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals, which you will have a feeling about one way or the other, but you will go see it. Yeah. And that in and of itself is a talent. And I couldn't write. But is that, that in and of itself a talent though, Hal? Sure. Because that is the most objective version of that. Hal Lublin is the best person to write Hal Lublin musicals. Listen, I'll put it this way. Is Tom Cruise a talented actor? Yes or no? Yes. Is Tom Cruise the best person in the world at making Tom Cruise movies now? Like that is oh, what yeah. he does? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You're not and wrong. You either like him or you don't. And That's you know fine. what? I like him. I like Phantom. I like this mask. Beautiful. And I think this one, uh, I think this one's settled. All right. People of the world, nighttime sharpens, heightens each sensation, darkness stirs, awakes imagination. Silently, the senses abandon their defenses. Helpless to resist the notes I write, because my mask is winning this podcast episode tonight. Oh no, the chandelier fell on me. Because that mask is so good, I was looking at it, and he was like, he's not even moving. I'm just going to drop this chandelier on him. That's how good his mask is. Yeah. The mask of the Phantom of the Opera is the best theater prop asked and answered. Well, this was a delightful episode. Thank you for indulging me, a thing that just popped into my head this week. I'm sorry it didn't come from the people of the world. We will have more from the people of the world, and we will have more fun very soon as the Max Fun Drive begins. It's at the end of March. We've got lots of fun stuff prepared. We're going to have a great time. We have a great bonus episode. Every show on the Max Fun Network has cool surprises and bonus episodes and all kinds of stuff for you, and you can find out all about that over the course of the next month. We will be bringing you plenty of it don't you worry. But for now, let me say this topic is closed, but there are many more topics to discuss. So please reach out to us on Twitter or you can email us. So we got this podcast at gmail.com. Go to our Facebook group. Talk about your favorite theater props and shows. Let's celebrate it all together. That's facebook.com slash group slash we got this podcast. Thank you to producer Ken Plume, who you can support at patreon.com slash Ken Plume. Researcher Kate McManus, graphic designer Uri Kelman and QA engineer Jen Alba. And thanks, of course, to our musicians, Jonathan Dinerstein and Mike Furman, for our score and theme song, respectively. And thanks to you, the people of the world. You know, Hal and I are unapologetically theater nerds. And I know that some of you are, too. Some of you may not be. Some of you may just be indulging us in these episodes. But may I say, as a theater nerd, there is no one I would rather go to a cast party, eat pizza with, and stand around the piano singing show tunes usually poorly, but with so much gusto 
than the people of the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you. For Hal Loveland, I'm Mark Gagliardi. For Mark Gagliardi, I'm Hal Loveland. And don't worry, everybody. We have got this. All is asked and answered. Settling debates. <laughs> Finding out what's great. <laughs> Helpless to resist the choice we make. Sorry about your losses, Billy Shakes. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.